blessing it is to be able to be back tonight. And I thank the Lord for the privilege that's ours to uh, be back. And I'm praying that God will do something mighty amongst us. If we'll let him, he will. There's no question about it. It's uh, not a matter of whether God wants to do a work in our hearts. He certainly does. But he's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force himself on anyone. And uh, he's going to give us opportunity to think and to reason. In fact, he invites us to reason. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's our God, and that's what he wants to do, and what a mighty God and what a wonderful friend he is. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank you for the privilege that's ours to, to honor you, to magnify you, to glorify your name. And Lord, we do that by being here tonight. Thank you for these here that are here on a Sunday night seeking to honor and magnify and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you do a mighty work in our midst. Help us, I pray, to receive your word and to receive it with gladness and tenderness and yieldedness. I pray that you'd help us to know what we need to know so that we can do battle against the enemy and to withstand him in such an evil and wicked day. And we'll thank you for what you do because we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Turn over, if you would, to Joshua, chapter number 11. Joshua, chapter 11 in the Word of God. I've been reading in Joshua lately in my devotions. It's been a, such a blessing and a refreshing uh, to me. In Joshua, chapter 11, the Lord is giving instruction to Joshua, telling them what he wants them to do and where he wants them to go. And in Joshua, chapter 11, in verse 21, it says, And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashtod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. Now these Anakims are the very people that the 12 spies mentioned, particularly the 10 spies. These Anakims were the very people that they were afraid of, that they thought they couldn't, that they couldn't uh, defeat. In fact, keep your finger in Joshua and turn over to Numbers, would you? Chapter number 13, Numbers chapter 13. I hope you came on a Sunday night with your page turning fingers ready to go. You know, sometimes we get lazy in our Bible study, but God wants us to be able to search the scriptures. So let's search the scriptures tonight and see what God has for us. Numbers chapter 13. Now, this is when the 12, stri 12 tribes travel through, uh, travel through uh, uh, the this land and they spy out the land. Numbers chapter 13. Notice what the scripture says in verse number 28. Now, these are the 10 spies speaking. They said, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. That's who you just read in Joshua chapter 11 that Joshua defeated. In fact, these were the ten spies and they said, uh, these, this is a bad land and this is a bad idea and we shouldn't go in. Even though God had already told them to go in and told them that He would be with them when they went in, and told them that he would give them power and strength to overcome when they went in. 
Now they're saying that God's way is not the best way. And God's idea to defeat the giants is not the best idea. Now that seems a little bit uh, audacious, doesn't it? Seems a little bit ridiculous to say, well, God, we know you've spoken on the matter, but we've got a better idea than you. Now I want to say tonight, God's will for you is to defeat every single giant. That's God's will for you. Whatever they may be, wherever they may come, however they may show themselves, God's will for you and God's will for me is to defeat every single giant in the land. So tonight I want to preach to you on the subject, defeating the giants. And I want us to see exactly what the Bible says on this very crucial matter. So here we are, Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel are just about to go into the land of promise under the leadership of Moses. And if they had in Numbers chapter 13, the Bible could have been written a little bit differently. If they had in Numbers chapter 13, there would have been a lot of battles that they would not have had to fight. If they had simply obeyed the Lord in Numbers chapter 13 and followed God and defeated the giants then their children wouldn't have had to fight battles and their grandchildren wouldn't have had to fight battles that they should have fought and won. But because they didn't, it was an entirely different outcome. So Numbers chapter 13, they said the children of Anak are there. Look at verse 29, Numbers 13. Again, remember, these are the, this is the report of the ten spies. It says, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell on the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They had it all scoped out. They had it all figured out where the giants were and where the bad guys were. In verse number 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now, are they reading from the same playlist? Did they read, did they scout the same land? Did they see the same thing? There are ten spies that are saying, We be not able to overcome and go up against the people. But Caleb says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we're well able to overcome it. Okay, I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box, but somebody is not telling the truth. Somebody has, they have a completely different perspective. Now watch, the way you overcome giants is not, is not by unbelief. The way you overcome giants every single time is through faith. And the Bible tells us we're not to be of those who draw back in unbelief. So that's what unbelief does. Unbelief draws back. Unbelief says, no, 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 I can't do this. Now, I want us to go back in history, and I want us to understand a little bit about the giants, but I want you to see right here at this very pivotal moment in Israel's history, ten spies says, nope, it can't be done, and two spies said, yes, it can be done. Look at Numbers chapter Numbers chapter 32. I mean, Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. See there? There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. 
and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Now, if you're tall, I'm thinking like six foot and above, you might be tall and you might be strong and you might be even in your own sight, a giant. But Pastor Ivan and I are not all as scared of you. And if you, you keep pushing your weight, we're going to bite your kneecaps off. That's the way we feel. All right. Now, I want you to understand a little bit about giants tonight. And I want you to understand exactly what God has to say and how we can overcome them. Now, listen to me. If we're going to defeat the giants, we're going to have to have some clear focus and some clear understanding. Let's go back and see the origin of the giants. Can we do that? Take your Bible, keep your fingers here to Numbers, and let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 in the Word of God. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, they came, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, folks, Genesis 6 has been a debated passage for years and years and years. In fact, at my ordination, when I was first going into the ministry, uh, they asked me, what do you think about Genesis 6? And some of the preachers there kind of rolled their eyes and said, oh, here it is again, the Genesis 6 question. They want to know, what do you think about Genesis 6? What are those giants and what's going on with the sons of God? And basically, the end or gist of it when I was in my ordination was uh, some people believe one thing and some people believe the other. and That's the way it was, and it didn't really matter what my answer was. I I mean, really. I got to thinking about it that I just said, well, it doesn't really matter what my answer is to these men of of great uh, wisdom and authority. Then it doesn't really matter what my answer is. But then one day a preacher challenged me to really study Genesis chapter six and I began to study it. And I came to a different conclusion that number one, it does matter what the Bible says on a particular subject. And number two, that if I can't preach this with a clear and a simple application, then there's a problem. And so as I studied, I came to a conclusion about what Genesis 6 is. Now, for those preachers present, if you have a different conclusion, I'm not going to cross swords with you. But I believe that in Genesis chapter 6, when he speaks here of these giants, he is speaking of something that has, if you will, superhuman power. Uh, I believe in Genesis chapter 6 when it says there are giants in the earth, the Hebrew word is Nephilim, and that's important because we're going to understand some things in the future. I believe there were demon-possessed men that were trying to pervert the promised seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. That's what I believe. I believe that something was going on that was so vile and so sinister in Genesis chapter 6 that it moved God to an action that he has not taken since. Now watch, in Genesis 6 and verse number 2, it says, The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Some people believe that this is the godly line of Seth. And uh, But when I read that and then I read the context, I have a hard time concluding that. Do you know why? Because the very next phrase, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. In other words, what's ever going on in verse number two, God is striving against. Uh, then it says in verse number three, he says, 
his, that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Right after verse number two, God cuts the, the number of years down. Up to this point, people have lived six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. Up to this point, it's no big deal for people to live quite a long time after this point. Now God says, I'm going to put a cutoff point. It's going to be 120 years. Why would God do that? Well, whatever is going on in this passage is sinister. Verse number four. Then it says there were giants in the earth in those days. That's the word Nephilim, which is important for you to remember. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Did you know that Josephus, one of the historians at the time of Christ, did you know that he puts the Greek gods where we get our superheroes from, right here in Genesis 6. Now, folks, whatever is going on in this passage is not just a godly line of Seth looking for good wives. There's something much more. You say, why? Well, God strives with man in the very next phrase. He cuts his age down to 120 years in the phrase following. He talks about uh, these men being mighty men, men of renown. And then he looks at the wickedness of man and says, I'm going to wipe out the earth. Now, God never wiped out the earth before, and he hasn't wiped out the earth since. But he did in Genesis 6 because of whatever's going on. And I want to give you another reason. Look at what he says in verse number 8. It says, well, read verses 5 and 6. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Now, just a, a quick lesson. In the Hebrew language, when you say something three times in a row, you're saying something with great emphasis. In fact, that's just about the greatest emphasis you can place on a, on a, on a matter or a name. He says in the book of Isaiah, Oh, earth, 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 hear ye the word of the Lord. He's trying to make an emphasis. When he said to Simon, Jesus speaking to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee that he may sift thee as wheat. He was saying his name twice so that there would be emphasis. Other than that, repeating something three times in a row, there is no greater way to emphasize something in the Hebrew language than the way God said it in verse number six. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. So whatever is going on in this passage is not just a good line of, of Noah or, or good line of Adam trying to find good godly wives. It's something that's grievous. It's something that's egregious. It's something that grieves God at his heart. It causes him to cut man's lifespan down to 120 years. It causes him to speak about how he'll not always strive with man. It causes him to do something that he's never before done and he's never since done. Notice verse number eight. It says in verse seven, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now let me just pause and say for anyone that may be here without Jesus Christ, you can find grace, you can receive grace, but you cannot earn grace. Grace is not earned like a blue ribbon or a trophy. 
Grace is not achieved like uh, a gold medal in the Olympics. Grace is received. It is found. That's what the Bible is saying. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, he placed his faith in the Lord. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, when there were demon-possessed men who were trying to pervert the promised seed, all of a sudden, you've got Noah finding grace. Look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon, God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupted, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Now watch. Verse number 9 is instructive. It says, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Now look here. Whatever was going on in the world at that time where demon-possessed men were trying to pollute the promised seed, God promised that the Messiah would come in Genesis 3 and verse 15. His seed would bruise the head or crush the head of the serpent in the serpent, and his seed would, would bruise this, the heel of the promised one. Whatever was going on, I believe in Genesis chapter 6, the devil was trying to pollute the seed, and it was so abominable to God that God destroyed the whole earth with a worldwide flood, took the demons that were involved in that and put them into prison unto the judgment of the great day. Peter speaks of it in the book of 2 Peter, but not all demons were there because not all demons were involved in Genesis 6. This is the origin of the giants. I want you to notice it. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it tonight. Because these giants were involved in a major tactic of the devil. Intimidation. Now the Bible speaks of these as Nephilim. But watch, that means it's a plural form. Watch, what we when we read Joshua chapter number 11 and verse number 21, it said that Joshua defeated the Anakims. Did you know they're spoken of elsewhere? Look at Genesis chapter 14, would you? Genesis chapter 14. We're trying to discover the origin of the giants. Genesis chapter 14. Now this is when Lot had separated from his righteous uncle, Abraham. And the Bible says that there were several kings that came together. Genesis 14. And notice what it says in verse 5. And in the 14th year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the, watch it, Rephaims. You know who they were? Giants. Now, the giants before the flood were destroyed during the flood. But even after the flood, the devil is trying to create some kind of massive, human, powerful race, if you will, to intimidate God's people. And they're right here. Genesis chapter 14. Verse number five, he smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, and the Zuzims. All of them are the giants and the Zuzims in Ham and the Emims in Sheva and Kiriathayim. The, watch this. Rephaims, Karnaims, Zuzims, and the Emims are all part of the giants. Look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Turn over there to Deuteronomy chapter 2. We're trying to discover and understand who the giants are. Who are these? the origin of these giants? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. 
Notice what the Bible says in verse uh, number 10. Verse number 9, And the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar unto the children of Lot for a possession. The Emims, there's your giants again, dwelt therein in times past, a people great and many and tall as the Anakims, which also were accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites call them Emims. So you've got giants here. You've got the Nephilims, which predate the flood. They were destroyed during the flood. Then you have the Anakims, the Emims, the Zuzims, and you have, you have the Rephaims. All of these are a part of the giants. Now, they would live east of Jordan, up in what would become known as Hebron. It's a very, very interesting study. Now, this is the origin of the giants. In other words, the devil is always trying to create a group of people or an individual who intimidates. Isn't that what the giants do? I mean, look, I'm short. I can tell you, you see some big old tall dude and you first you stand in awe. Wow. I mean, my boys, we're all short. You know, we come by it honestly. And we always see some tall guy and we want to ask, how tall are you? Now, I want to say tall is not all. And I tell my boys that all the time. Tall is not all. There was a seven-foot guy riding with us on an airplane ride, and he was in a hurry to get there, and we both were uh, somehow missed the flight, and uh, he, they had to rebook his flight. And he was a little upset that he wasn't getting a seat with extensive legroom. Well, I don't care. Once you're past six foot, you don't have a whole lot of legroom anywhere. But I have plenty of legroom. Thank you very much. And I don't need to ride first class to have leg room. Uh, I, sometimes my feet don't even touch the floor. But anyway, I have a great time flying. I can stretch out and it doesn't bother me at all. So tall is not all. But the first thing you do when you see someone tall is you say, wow, I wonder how tall he is. Can you ask him? That's one of the things that I do when I get around tall people because it just it's, makes me stand in awe. And isn't that what the devil... By the way, if you're tall, you're not of the devil. I want to get that straight tonight. I don't want any heresy walking out of here tonight. But, uh, but let me say, isn't that what the devil wants you to do? Stand in awe of him. Now, why would the devil create this superhuman race, if you will, and try to pollute the promised seed. Hey, the promised seed had to come a certain way. It had to come through a certain line or a tribe. It had to come through a certain people, the Jews. And the Jews hadn't been formed in Genesis 6. It, in the Jews, it had to come through a certain tribe, the tribe of Judah, that hadn't been formed in Genesis 6. From the tribe of Judah, it had to come through a certain family, and it had to come through a virgin. None, none of that had happened. So the devil tried to pollute the seed and destroy it. I believe this. If you study the Bible and study how the devil is attempting to try to destroy the seed, you will have a lot of facts in the Bible that just fall into place. But if you don't, and you don't understand Genesis 6, you're going to have a hard time understanding a lot of passages. I believe that when the devil heard directly from the lips of Almighty God, the seed of the woman will destroy the seed of the serpent and the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. He's, he said, well, i, I got to destroy the seed of the woman. So he tried in Genesis 4 when Cain killed Abel. He tried in Genesis chapter 6 when he tried to pollute the seed. He tried in the book of Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 16 when he had Abraham have have a physical relationship with Hagar. That was an attempt at the promised seed. 
Hey, the devil's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, though he'd like you to think he knows everything. So what does he do? He's always got to have somebody to attack. He doesn't know who the Antichrist will be. And so he's got to always have somebody in the shadows, like a Saddam Hussein or a, a Joseph Stalin or an Adolf Hitler. And who knows who he's got in the shadows right now? And so now he's trying to attack the promised seed. He tried to destroy the promised seed in Exodus chapter number uh, one when he had Pharaoh kill all the men children of the children of Israel under a certain age. He tried to destroy the promised seed when Haman tried to kill all the Jews. He tried to destroy the promised seed when Herod tried to kill all the male children. All the while, he tried to destroy the promised seed when Satan now had a fig figured out this was the Lord Jesus. He tried to destroy the promised seed in, in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four. He tried to destroy the promised seed again and again when the Jews picked up stones and tried to kill the Lord Jesus before his time and in a way that would not fulfill Bible prophecy. He tried to pollute and destroy the promised seed again and again and again. And look at, look at the way he still operates. I think he's doing it just because he knew he failed. He's trying to destroy children everywhere. Have you thought of the 60 million babies that have been aborted? Now we know the promised seed has already come, but that is a Devious. It is a diabolical, it is a satanic attack, an attempt by the devil to destroy the promised seed. Now, and to destroy, and just to destroy children in general. Think of it. Now watch, folks, I want you to get this. The origins of the giants are rooted in Satanism. And the devil is trying to get you to look at him with awe. Do you know what else the devil's trying to do? He's trying to get you to look at him with fear. So that you fear him. And you fear his power. That's what a giant would do. Isn't it a giant that went up against David? And David in powerful, faith-filled form took a stone and slew the giant named Goliath? Someone says he picked up four stones else besides the other stone. So he had five stones. Why? Because Goliath had four brothers. And I believe David was planning to put an intercontinental ballistic stone right in each one of their foreheads. And he did with, with, with uh, Goliath. Now watch. Number one is the origins of the giants. Number two, I want you to consider the strategy of the giants. Why would the devil make this as a strategy? Well, he's always been trying to do that. With Adolf Hitler, he tried to make a superhuman race, a pure race, pollute, free from the pollution of any kind of corrupt races so that he could make some super soldier, some superhuman. And he was always experimenting with genetics. By the way, the experimentation that goes on with genetics today is just as diabolical. Now, I am for eliminating disease, but I am not for experimenting with genetics so that we can somehow, uh, and eugenics, so that we can take human life and, and save life. That doesn't even make sense. You don't save life by taking life that is existing and experiment with it. But that's exactly what Adolf Hitler did, not once, but again and again and again. So now there's giants after they get into the land of Canaan. Long after. Numbers chapter 13. Would you go back there? Numbers chapter 13. Notice what they say. It says in verse number 33, There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. These would be from the Anakims which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Well, that's the problem with the ten spies. And by the way, that's the problem with unbelief, is it always wants to live by sight instead of by faith. 
And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, chapter 14 and verse 1. And the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? You see the fear? I mean, it's almost palpable. You could almost reach out and touch it. Verse number four. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. What? Well, what, what part of Egypt was so wonderful? I mean, the leeks and onions and garlics, maybe that just for seasoning your food. But really? What was it, the taskmaster's whip that they loved so much? What part of Egypt was so wonderful? Was it the extra burden of bricks that Pharaoh put upon them? Was it the building of the treasure cities and quite possibly the pyramids? What, 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 what part of Egypt was so wonderful? Was it the children dying year after year and decade after decade and century after century? They were there for 400 some years. What was so wonderful about being in Egypt? But see, that's exactly what the giants will do. They'll get you running in fear. If they can't get you to, if the devil can't get you to worship him, he'll get you to fear him. Live in constant fear. And by the way, the devil wants you to think he's in charge when he's not. A few years ago, 2013, my, my cousin, her husband, two of their three children died in a single car wreck down here in, in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Maybe you remember. Single car wreck. There was no ice on the road. There was no animal. There were no animals. There was no other car. It was a single car wreck. And we all went to the funeral. We were there. I had a part in the funeral. My brother asked me a very interesting question. He said, Dwight, who is in charge of death? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I've thought on that many, many years since then. I want to say in answer to that question, the devil wants you to think he's in charge of death. But, but the devil has to check in with the Lord. The book of Job tells us that. He has to report to the Lord. But the devil wants you to think he's in charge, period. So he wants you to fear him and bow to him. He wants you to stand in awe of him. You know what else he wants you to do? He wants you to submit to him. And that's what the giants want. That's what they wanted in Egypt or, or, or in Genesis chapter six. That's what they wanted in the Anakims and the Zuzims and, and the Emims. That's what they wanted. They wanted Israel to submit to them. And so they used power and intimidation. Now, don't don't lose me here. I'm not getting spooky. But a few years ago in, in 2015 or so, we were over in Italy and uh, while we were there, I was uh, awakened in the middle of the night about 1.30 out of a crazy dream. In the dream, I was, uh, I was awakened out of the dream and I told Amber the dream entirely. I, I woke up and found she was at the foot of the bed and she was tending to one of my boys who was sick. And uh, she'd been struggling with the devil's attacks. Now, are we the only ones that struggle with the devil's attacks? Anybody here that struggles with the devil's attacks, it'd be helpful to kind of get that all out in the open. Okay. She'd just been under it. The devil been attacking her this way and that, trying to get her to doubt and trying to get her to fear. And, and usually, if I wake up from a 
a dream, I try to go back to sleep and forget about it. I don't know if that's how you are, but I'm, I'm trying to either get back to sleep so I can find out the adventure of the dream or forget about it. You know what I'm saying? But I told the whole dream to Amber right there. I was in a church foyer, church lobby, probably like this. And uh, we'd talk to people and howdied with people for a while like we do normally after a service. And I looked at everybody and I said, well, we're going to go home. And everybody looked at me with the attitude of good luck with that. You can't do anything around here unless you have this guy's permission. There was a man in the church who was holding sway and mind control over everybody there in the church. And I looked at him and I looked at the other people. And I said to myself, I'm an American. I can leave when I want to leave. But when I tried to get out the door, I couldn't open it. And it wasn't locked. I couldn't open it no matter what I did. Finally, once I got out the door and my wife and I got to the other side of the parking lot, we got to our truck that was fairly new at the time and we couldn't get in it. Once we got it in, we couldn't get the, the key to work. Once we got the key to work, we couldn't get it started. Once we got it started, we couldn't get uh, it in gear. Once we got it in gear, we couldn't get it going. And it was all back to this one man who was holding mind sway and control over obviously more than just people's minds. For some reason or another, I, I left the truck and I ended up back in another another building on the church property and it was something like a, a dormitory. There were beds around, people were standing around, some were checking out for the night. As I was standing there watching, these people were all looking to this one man. There he was, his presence was intimidating. It was like he held sway on them. He had some accusation against them. He was manipulating them. He was deceiving them. It was all there, and I was watching this. These people wouldn't even breathe hardly unless they had his permission. And finally, as a Baptist preacher, I'd had enough, and I stood up on my own hind legs, and I said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. And I woke up. Just before I woke up, it was as if he cowed. It was like I went into his hard drive and reprogrammed everything. He just completely cowed. And I told Amber, I said, you see how the devil works? Now listen to how the devil works. This is substantiated by Scripture. He works through intimidation. We're speaking of the giants. He works through manipulation. Trying to manipulate circumstances and manipulate people and control them. He did it all throughout the Old Testament and certainly throughout the New. He works through accusation. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And he works through deception. The Bible says he's the father of lies. So watch now, folks. Don't ever forget what I'm about to say. Whenever you find intimidation, accusation, manipulation, and or deception, the devil's afoot. Now, the devil's not always attacking us. Not every temptation to sin is a direct attack from the devil. Some are, some aren't. Some he just puts out through his proxies. Through his, through, through, through the world. That's a temptation from without. Sometimes it's just the desire from within, our flesh. But sometimes when we're attacked or we're tempted, it is, or where we're oppressed or when we're depressed, it is a direct attack from the devil. If you will, his giants. And by the way, he still has giants. People that try to hold sway. People that tried to hold power. People that will use it to manipulate. They'll use it within a family. They'll use it within a church body. They'll use it within a town. They'll use it all over, trying to hold sway and power. 
few years ago, I read a book called The Devil in the Seventh Pew. And it talks about a preacher that went to Whitesville, North Carolina. Young preacher, the church was growing and booming. Things were happening. And there was a man that went to the church there, but he had several properties in town and several people that went to the church rented from him. And that man, again and again and again, set off bombs right next to the pastor's parsonage just to intimidate him. And he would always cover it up in layers of deception. In fact, it took an FBI investigation and years of investigation to finally indict the man and, and try him and find him guilty and put him in prison. What, what is this? This is one of the devil's giants. The devil comes in a lot of ways. Sometimes the devil will come in intimidating you and you wake up in the morning and you just feel depressed. And sometimes it's, you feel like you're under a cloud of oppression. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? No, you feel that. Now, what happened? Did you wake up and say, I need a cup of joe and some depression today? I mean, is that how it happened? No, no, you don't wake up planning to get depressed. You don't wake up planning to be depressed. You wake up planning, hopefully, to have a good day and a better day. And, and, and yet here comes this depression. What is that? That's an attack from Satan. That's one of his fiery darts. Uh, by the way, all throughout religious lore and folklore in history, you will find giants on the side of evil trying to destroy, trying to devour, trying to defeat that which is good and right. Where does that come from? It comes from the truth of the Word of God. So watch, the origins of the giants is found all the way back in Genesis chapter 6, and it's originating with the devil. Let me just talk about this. We're not going to go into depth right now, but when you talk about demon possession and study it from the Bible, demon possession is connected to certain and very specific sins. Now, all sin is of the devil, and all sin makes God sad and the devil glad. All sin. But some sin is specifically connected to demons. You say like what? All right, Matthew or Mark chapter number four and five, you find the demon possessed man in, in the tombs of Gadara. And what is he doing? He's running around naked. Nakedness and pornography is directly connected to demons. You say, how do you know? Because of the bondage that it brings. There's bondage in every sin to a point, but for a kid that steals a pencil at school, that, that's not right, but that's, that's not the same bondage as pornography. Why? Because demons love bondage and they love that. So nakedness or pornography is directly connected to demons. How about this? Drugs. Drugs are directly connected to demons. You want to open a portal to the devil, just go down the road of pornography. Some of you may already have done that. You want to open a portal to the devil and welcome him into your life? You open up that portal through drugs. It brings incredible bondage. Here's a man, 150 pounds dripping wet, and he's high on drugs. And it takes five to seven fully equipped, in-shape police officers to subdue him. That superhuman strength doesn't just come from the drugs. It comes from the demons accompanying the drugs. You've got a guy that goes into a school or he goes into a church. He sits down and worships with those people or walks into the school like everything's fine and then brings out a weapon and starts to kill those people. That's directly linked to Satanism and demonism. Mark it down. His strategy is to intimidate. It is to deceive. It is to manipulate and to accuse. 
A Christian, I want to make the application right now in this way. If there's any intimidation on your part or manipulation on your part towards others or deception or accusation, you better run to the cross. Because you're an ally with the devil when you use those as ways to get your own will. And let me just say that if those strategies are being wielded against you, you can overcome. Number one is the origin of giants. Number two is the strategy of giants. Number three is the defeat of giants. How can we overcome these giants? All right, back to Numbers chapter number 14. Look at what the Bible says in verse number Five, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them, that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and will give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Do you see, watch what they're saying. They're saying it's all directed back to the Lord. When Caleb in verse number 30 of chapter 13 said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. He wasn't reading the power of positive thinking and he wasn't reading your best life now from Joel Osteen. And he wasn't saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. The reason he spoke with such confidence is because he had faith in Almighty God and Caleb was walking with God. Joshua here comes and he says, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land if the Lord delight in us. You see, they were tying it back to God. Our strength comes from God. Our confidence comes from God. If we delight in God and the Lord delights in us, he'll give us this land that flows with milk and honey. Verse number nine. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Do you see how it seems like they're reading from two different sheets? That they've searched two different lands? The ten spies said, they're giants. We're grasshoppers. The land devours the inhabitants. And Caleb and Joshua said, no problem. It's a piece of cake. I mean, look at it. That's exactly what they said. Verse number nine. It says in verse number nine, they are bread for us. Just a piece of cake. What a difference in perspective. What's the difference? The difference between faith and unbelief. Moving forward for God doesn't mean we're foolhardy and reckless and foolish. It just means we're saying God can. And we're believing and we're seeking God's mind and we're seeking God's guidance and we're seeking God's strength and we're seeking God's delight and approval if the Lord delight in us. But moving, but stopping in unbelief means our will is better than God's. Our conclusion on the matter is better than God's. Our way is better than God's. And guess what that always leads to? It always leads to defeat. So I'm saying, if you want to defeat the giants in your life, Whatever they may be. Maybe it's a stubborn habit. Watch me now. Watch me now. Maybe it's some overcoming circumstance in your family. Maybe it's some difficulty that you never thought you'd be in. Maybe it's some physical ailment that you either, watch this, need to trust God and ask the Lord to give you healing from, or you need to trust God and ask Him to give you an incredible attitude in the midst of. 
That's the way we should pray. Lord, I believe you can heal me from anything. I believe you can prevent death. Do you believe that God can heal and prevent death? I believe that. But Lord, if you don't, I'm still going to trust you. That's exactly what the three Hebrew boys said. Our God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. That's all he has to do. But if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to you. We're going to overcome. You see, overcoming is more than just getting out of the circumstance. Overcoming is overcoming me in the midst of my circumstance. You see? And overcoming my flesh. So if you want to have that kind of attitude, you want to overcome some stubborn habit, maybe some, 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 some circumstance that you're involved in that you need light from God and guidance from God, help from God to overcome this giant. Maybe it's some family member that's gone astray. Maybe it's some, maybe it's some illness that's stricken you and you need either deliverance from it or you need deliverance in it and deliverance from yourself. I want to tell you, you can overcome that giant, but it will not be through unbelief. Unbelief says, my reasoning is bigger and better than God's reasoning. My way is better than God's way. Uh, uh, my, my stop sign is what I'm going to follow, not God's stop sign or God's green light. I'm not going to follow any of that. And, and I'm going to rebel against God. And you know, they did. They said in verse number four, let us make a captain and return to Egypt. And by the way, they tried that in a few chapters later. Numbers chapter 16, they tried to make a captain called Captain Rebellion. We otherwise know him as Korah. That didn't work out too well, at least for Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And then the Bible tells us that they, there's, you, you know what I think? I think that Joshua and Caleb from Numbers chapter 14 all the way to the end of the book Numbers chapter number, uh, or, or the, all the way to the book of Deuteronomy. You know what they saw? They saw the serpents eat up all the inhabitants in Numbers 21. And they thought to themselves, if only they'd have listened. They saw the ground swallow up Korah and his band. And Joshua and Caleb said, if only they'd have listened. They saw the people uh, devoured by God's judgment and 23 to 25,000 were slain in Numbers 23 and Numbers 24 as a result of Balaam's deception. Joshua and Caleb said, if only they'd listen. They watched as God brought judgment after judgment after judgment and watch, they doubtless saw that Moses didn't get in. They may have thought, You see what a different turn of events could have happened if in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14, the people had said, we don't understand it, but we're going to follow the faith of Joshua and Caleb instead of the unbelief of the ten spies. It would have been written completely different. And Joshua and Caleb got in. You know what I believe? What their hearts throb was? They're going to put a knife right in the heart of every single giant in the land. You know how old Joshua and Caleb were when that happened? In their 80s. Don't tell me old people can't serve God. Don't tell me it can't happen. They were 40. They were the only ones that were 40 and above that survived. All the rest that were 40 and above died.
died. And at every single funeral, Joshua and Caleb no doubt shed tears and said, if only they had listened. Guess what? If they'd have crossed the River Jordan in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, they still would have had to drive out the giants, the Emims and the Zuzims and the Anakims. But they had to wait 40 years. Well, what did that do for the giants? It made them get stronger and more wicked and more perverse and more vile. Until finally there came a day when Caleb said, I want that mountain. It belongs to me. How do we defeat the giants? Well, we know we don't defeat them by unbelief. We do defeat them by faith. And what do I mean by that? Simply taking God at his word. I can tell you for a fact that there are some giants I have never had to battle because some of my fathers did. My grandpa was one of four brothers my great-grandpa, his dad, was a drunk. He moved from Traverse City, Michigan, over to Pengilly or Hibbing, Nashwalk area, Minnesota, with one dollar of an inheritance from his family because they so despised his drunken ways. He had four sons, one of whom was my grandpa, and three of his sons were drunks, just like he was. My grandpa said, nothing doing. And because of that simple decision by my grandpa, who made it when he was unsaved, that has saved our family countless hours of sorrow and grief. There's never been a bottle of beer in our refrigerator. Never. In my growing up years and in my, and in my marriage years, never. And by God's grace, there never will be. Why? Because that battle was fought a long time ago. Later, my grandpa would get saved when he was in his 40s and he would find that that decision he made was actually a righteous decision that God spared sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. I, I've never known. I don't know what it is to taste beer. I can smell it, but it, it's not a temptation to me at all. I'm not saying I'm better than all that. I'm not saying that I couldn't go down that road because I could if I would yield to the flesh, but it's never been a temptation. I'm tempted in other areas that I'm ashamed to say I've given into more than once, but I'll tell you, beer is not one of them. You know why? Somebody fought a battle a long time ago. Plunged the knife right into the heart of the giant of alcohol. Praise God. Drugs has never been in our family. Thank God. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just stating fact. It's never been in our family. Never. As far as I know, my cousins on my and grandkids on my mom and dad's side and, um, and unks, aunts and uncles, it's never been in our family. You know why? Somebody made a decision that was vile and wicked and the giant would die and he would stay dead. And I thank God for it. Going to church was a regular part of my growing up. We never had to struggle and wonder whether or not we were going to go to church on Sunday because that's what we did. And we go to church more than Sunday. We're in church just about every day of the year. And I'm not bragging. I'm simply stating I'm glad that that's a giant we never had to struggle with. There are other things we struggle with, which sometimes I struggle with anger and impatience. Sometimes I struggle with lust. I'm ashamed at some of the things that I have to struggle with and some of the thoughts that pass through my mind. But I'll tell you this, with God being my helper, I want to drive a dagger through the heart of every single one of those giants. And I want to find out some more giants that are alive and encourage God's people to drive a dagger right through their heart 
after they bit their kneecaps off. I mean it. There needs to be a mindset against the giants that's not accepting, that's not tolerating, that's not accommodating, that's not approving, but that is an absolute enemy. I want you to take your Bible and turn over to the book of Joshua, would you? Joshua chapter 21, would you turn there? It's powerful. Look at Joshua chapter 21. Now, Caleb has come in. But I want you to see Joshua chapter 21. Oh, this is such a wonderful passage of Scripture. In Joshua chapter 21, the Bible says, in verse number 11, the cities that were once havens of wickedness, wickedness, marked by rebellion, filled with perversion, and overcome with intimidation, were cities that God Almighty turned into cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. Now think of it. Think of God doing just that. God is such an amazing God, and He would do this very thing in, in the hearts and lives of the children of Israel. Watch it, Joshua chapter 20. One, notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. This is the thing. Let me, I'm in the wrong book, excuse me. Joshua 21. Joshua 21, verse 11. And they gave them the city of Arba, watch it, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron in the hill country of Judah with the suburbs thereof round about it. But the fields of the city and the villages thereof gave they to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for his possession. Thus, they gave to the children of Aaron the priest Hebron with her suburbs to be a city of refuge for the slayer and Libna with her suburbs and Jadar with her suburbs and Eshtemoa with her suburbs and Holon with her suburbs and Deber with her suburbs and Ion with her suburbs all the way down. Watch, watch now, this is what the Bible's saying. They gave the city of Hebron to the son of Caleb to be a city of refuge. So cities that were once dominated by giants, filled with perversion, filled with wickedness and idolatry, became cities that honored and magnified God, were possessed by the sons of Aaron, and they became cities of refuge. Wow. You know why? Because Caleb and Joshua in their 80s said, enough already with these giants and with their intimidation, and with their manipulation. Enough already. We're tired of this battle being fought over and over and over again, and the giants intimidating and accusing and manipulating and deceiving. It's done. And they killed the giants, drove them out, and turned what was vile to something that was victorious. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to go kill some giants. Now, in order for me to do that, I've got to identify them. I can't just go out with a wild-eyed frenzy tonight and say, yeah, good idea. Where are they? I've got to figure out what they are in my life. And that means I'm going to get honest and humble. You know how you get and defeat a giant? Through faith. You know how you defeat a giant? Through honesty. You can't get help for any of your giants till you get honest. And you know how you defeat a giant? Not through rising up, but through bowing down, through humility. 
Faith, honesty, and humility are what defeat the giants in your life and mine. How about it? Does your family have some giants? Your personal life, does it have some giants? Are there some giants that need to be overcome in this city? I've seen some. The liquor stores, notwithstanding. I've seen some. Some giants that need to be overcome. Who's going to defeat those giants? Who's going to pray against those giants? Who's going to ask God for victory over those giants? Nothing's going to change unless someone starts to see the way God sees. Nothing's ever going to change if we let the giants continue to manipulate and deceive and accuse and overcome. Nothing's going to ever change if we go on in our unbelief and our dishonesty and our pride. But when we get humble with God, the giants are overcome. I want to leave you with this story. A few years ago, I was down in Anderson, South Carolina. A friend of mine was down there preaching. And uh, he, his Mark Monty is his name. He was down there preaching for a friend named Dave Rickard. Now, Mark and Dave were part of a group of preacher boys that would go down on Friday night, every Friday night, and they would go down and street preach on the city in the city of Anderson, South Carolina. And they would go, sometimes they would sit in their car and they had a megaphone over top and they would park it right outside of a bar and they'd preach the gospel and point people to Jesus. And then they'd get out and they'd talk to some of the drunks that were staggering art out and try to tell them about Jesus. And then they'd get down on their knees and they'd pray that every one of these bars in Anderson, South Carolina would get shut down. And Dave Rickert and Mark took me to those places where the bars were. Seven of them. There's no more bars. A vacant lot, a car lot, a CVS. And they prayed that God would shut down the bars and that God would start a church. And Dave Rickard pastors the Hope Baptist Church there in Anderson, South Carolina. You know what that is? It's somebody that killed the giants. You see, preacher, they'll pop up elsewhere. They will. They will until Jesus comes. This battle won't be over until then. But I'd say that when history's written, I want the history books to write that Dwight Smith was on the side against the giants, not for them. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, help us to defeat giants in our lives. I pray that we'd be able to claim some 